We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're using regression tree analysis to understand the 2023 wide receiver class on Rotoviz Radio. What's up, Rotoviz? Welcome into the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Curtis Patrick, joined by Dave Cabin. We're back for another spring break edition 2023 <laughs> uh, podcast. My kiddos have been home. I've been uh, taking a little bit of extra time off this week, and we went and saw the Super Mario Brothers movie today, Dave. That was kind of fun. Oh, how was it? Uh, I mean, you know, it, it's it's pretty much exactly what you would think. You know, mm-hmm. it's not, you know, it's not the best movie I've ever seen, but you know, had had a really star-studded lineup, and it was fun. You know, just kind of thinking about these actors doing the uh, the voiceovers. I mean, <laughs> I was really impressed by Jack Black as Bowser. I mean, okay, it was just yep. so fun. Yep. Um, nice. And there was an interesting romance uh, angle thrown into the movie that was unexpected. So oh, wow. I, I, yeah, it's way too soon to tease it, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, no spoiler alerts here uh, on, on Rotoviz. I don't want to make anybody mad, but yeah, we're having fun spending some time together with the kiddos, but Hey man, we're going to have some fun cutting up the 2023 wide receiver class from a different angle. I mean, we've talked about it early on in the process from, you know, just kind of uh, raw production. And then we started looking at some of more of the, uh, the classic Rotoviz, production metrics, you know, as we got into uh, volume one of the, the road of his fantasy football rookie draft guide this year. Then we started talking about a little bit of the athletic uh, measurements and how that was going to impact, you know, implied draft capital, et cetera. But Dave, a couple of years ago, you had a pretty cool model that you posted on the site. And, you know, I, I think this is going to be a great exercise going back and you know, putting this year's class through that model, which, you know, has performed pretty well so far. So um, why don't we get a drop and then talk to us about your wide receiver regression tree? Yeah. So this is a concept that we've used a number of times on the site back in the day. Kevin Cole did some things with this, uh, this methodology as well as Anthony Amico. Um, I applied it to wide receivers in this case. And the real high level here of what a regression tree is, is it's basically just coming up with a series of questions that can walk you down different paths with players so that you're able to account for the fact that not every player is the same. Some players are going to accumulate things a little bit differently. 
But ultimately, it is another way of getting a sense of where a player figures to fall out in what he will achieve from a points per game perspective when he makes his way into the NFL. So if I try to explain it a little bit more briefly, uh, while at the same time giving some insight to what happens is I collect a ton of wide receiver metrics. Um, I did not include athletic measurables, uh, mainly for the fact here that you have very inconsistent uh, records in which drills players participate in, uh, which makes it very hard to model things around that and then apply your models to incoming players. If they didn't one run one of the drills that you include, then you can't, you know, apply the model to them. But basically I have all of these different variables. There's an algorithm that is going to go through. It's going to find different combinations of variables, and then it's going to find different decisions within those variables or like different combinations of them uh, that tend to bucket players into different groups based on points per game in a way that tends to be predictive when you apply it to data that was not in your training set. So to say this a little bit differently, I drop in a ton of data. We find the variables that are important. And then of those variables, there are different combinations that a player can go down. You ask a series of questions and then it's going to arrive in the end of this decision tree with your final result for that player. So, you know, you're going to have things like draft position. So if a player was drafted before or after X, you then have a different follow-up question. Maybe the question is, did they record more than 15% of their teams receiving touchdowns? Then you'd walk down a different branch, depending on which direction you go. The final tree that I, okay, I'll stop there. I'll stop there for a sec. Yeah. I'm just going to interject because so, so two things. Um, the first thing is we will put a link, um, to the original article where Dave first shared this regression tree in the podcast notes. So if you want to go check it out at the visual format, um, you'll be able to check that out there. And then I just want to caution, I mean, we're only talking about nine different variables. And so kind of setting up, you know, setting up this episode, I, I don't want anybody get to get lost here. This is really not that overwhelming. They're easy to understand. Right. Uh, variables and there's not very many of them. Right. It's just one of those things where you're playing radio and people don't necessarily <laughs> yes. have the picture. So we'll, we'll put the link in the notes. Yeah, exactly. And th I'm glad that you mentioned that because one of the things that I did with this model and that I try to do with things that we put up on the site is make them so that they're easy to understand. And there are things that anybody yeah. can look at because my goal is to just give people a window into the type of things they should be looking at versus trying to, you know, put together what might be the most accurate model or the best model that you could, because if it's not interpretable, then people don't really know how much they should vest in it. And it's hard yeah. for them to understand um, why we're arriving at the numbers that we do. So like you said, we really don't have many variables in this model. We end up with draft position, um, their final age and their receiving touchdowns per game and their career receiving market share. So the first question that you ask, Curtis, is if a player was drafted before or after 106, and then you go down different branches from there. I'm not yeah. going to try to talk through it, um, but what we're going to do is use some players from this year's class to make our way through this decision tree 
which I think will then highlight a little bit more broadly how you use this this analysis here. But the thing I am going to do first, though, unless you want to pause me there, was I was going to share some of the results from the group of players that were wide receivers entering the league in 2021. Yeah, I think um, that's the perfect uh, segue here because, like you said, we want to be able to apply, you know, the learning. So what ultimately happens based off of the bucket that a player uh, gets into as a result of the regression tree model is it places them in, in different groupings and we can, uh, you know, make some informed decisions based off of uh, uh, predictions on their points, per, their fantasy points per game, which is ultimately what we're trying to understand is, you know, how impactful should this player be um, if they fall into a certain bucket. And, you know, in 2021, when you first unleashed this, it's it's really cool because basically all the play, save for maybe one player, Uh, who, who fails and and we'll go through the process on that one. He fails the draft capital piece. And so, you know, he didn't get into one of the desirable buckets, but for every other player, I mean, it's basically their Like this is the order that you would want them in dynasty almost. Um, So it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty cool. So why don't you review quickly some of the key players from 2021, how they performed maybe take one or two of the players through the regression tree, and then let's transition to speaking about this class. Yeah, sure. So the first player that you have here uh, was Jamar Chase, who came out in the highest bucket that you have, which is a bucket of 15 points per game. Uh, this is fi- the, the way that these buckets uh, are determined is we- I was using points per game in years one through three. Um, so given that you don't have many players ever scoring more than you know 15 average points per game on their first three years. It's the highest bucket that you're going to have. Jamar Chase finished in that bucket. Why did he finish in that bucket? Well, his draft position was lower than 30 and his final season was played at an age younger than 21. That is all you need to look at in his tree. Basically, if you're young and you're drafted early, your odds for success are so much higher than any, any other combination. Followed by him, our next two highest players, which both fell into a bucket between 11 to 15 points, Curtis, were Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddell. Um, These were largely the same uh, reasons. We also had uh, behind them Rashad Bateman, Kadarius Toney, and Rondale Moore. Um, then a big drop down. It did not love Terrace Marshall at all. Uh, got just 6.3 points per game. One of the reasons for this was on his tree. There was a pivotal point, which was if you were drafted between 30 and 106, but your career receiving market share was lower than 22% where he falls out was just 6.3 points at the time. I said, well, you know, maybe you could look at this LSU offense and you could reason, you know, why he ended up there. But uh, it actually did do a pretty good job in his case uh, that he was then followed by guys like Elijah Moore, who actually came in with 11 and then Amon Ross St. Brown had 8.3. So he was one of the higher players in the Well, maybe like middle of the pack in this class. Uh, and then most of the other players that it didn't really like, I, I don't believe ever really manifested into much. You had guys like, uh, you know, Amari Rogers down at 4.5 points per game. Uh, D Eskridge at 4.5. Nico Collins was at 8.1. Marquez Stevenson at 6.3. 
So a little bit of a flavor of, of what it would have done with past players. Curtis, you might be on mute. The model performed uh, remarkably well. And it the thing that I like about it, you know, kind of going back and looking at these results from two years ago, it even called, you know, Amon Russane Brown, uh, you know, it, it gave him a better bucket than Terrace Marshall, despite, you know, going 33 picks later uh, in the NFL draft, being smaller, you know, some of those things. You know, there's a couple, even Nico Collins, it was on Nico Collins, uh, despite being in, in round four, actually falling at that 106 um, <laughs> uh, threshold, I guess. Yep. Um, but putting him in a higher bucket uh, than players who went earlier, like uh, Sage Surratt and Tutu Atwell, uh, Tylen Wallace, um, and, you know, Collins still has a little bit of intrigue, um, not just because of his size, but, you know, the, the, you know, the regression tree liked him. So I think what's kind of cool about this exercise is we, you know, we talk about how little the combine typically matters for wide receivers other than, I mean, really it's weight, you know, we, yeah. we like the weight um, even more so than height. We like weight for wide receivers and beyond that, you know, the, the combine's exciting. You know, we like to see those uh, explosive jumps and, you know, quick 40s. Oftentimes, it just seems like those things end up throwing us off of, of sound analysis. And, yeah. and we, throw, we throw out the, the fact that, you know, a player didn't produce for, you know, three or four years in college. And, you know, they had a good workout and we, we pushed them up the boards uh, even though some players who maybe tested slightly inferior athletically produced because of, you know, their skills and their, um, you know, their nuanced route running or their, or, you know, their, their smarts. So I, I like that we have this option here to, to not really consider the athletics. So let's, let's take a, a swerve here into the 2023 class. I've got a list of wide receivers. I want you to test for us here, Dave. Yep. Let us know where they're falling. Let's start at the tippy top with Jackson Smith and the Jigba. You know, he's, he's near a consensus, uh, you know, overall wide receiver one for the class. Let's just see how the, the model uh, looks at him. And then we can kind of use that as a litmus test for the rest of the guys. Sure. So uh, he has a pretty simple tree. It's that tree that you love to see. We can very easily project that he's going to go ahead of 30 in the draft. He finished his final Season at Ohio State at just 20.8. He's under 21. As a result, he falls into that elusive bucket of an average of 15 points per game. You'll love to see it. All right. So he's in that same bucket that we saw Jamar Chase in in that 2021 class. And it's really simple. I mean, I can memorize this number <laughs> this number of variables, man. Right. Go in the top 30 and finish your final college season under the age of 21. Sure. That, uh, yeah. that combo puts you in the best in the best cohort. Right. And, and you know, I'll yeah. give the caveat here. Obviously, these aren't hard cutoffs. Uh, you know, in some level, they're an approximation. So if a guy finishes and he's like, you know, 21 and you know, he was 21 in two months or whatever, you you know, you can you can get a little loose with that. Mm -hmm. Uh we're Joel inflexible. We're inflexible. If, you, if you're one day <laughs> older, then we will through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so JSN was easy. Okay. Yep. So that's great. Um, let's go to a, a player, you know, and I, this is going to be a fun exercise. So let's go um, to the player who many mock drafters are predicting will be the, the second wide receiver off of the board, but we've got questions about, you know, the, 
the breadth of his route tree, the level of competition out there in the Big 12. Quentin Johnston, Dave, where does he fall? Sure. So Quentin Johnston uh, has the draft position uh, below yeah, we think 30. He'll go, yeah, he's, he's probably going to go in the top 20. Probably going to go maybe, in the top 20. The top 15. Yeah. He finished, though, beyond 21, actually 21.3, If which if that is the case. He would then fall down into an 11 point per game bucket. Um, if he were to fall outside of the top 30, however, we would see him actually fall down a tree here, Curtis, that would actually put him at just 6.3 points. Yeah. So it, 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 it's weird for him because he also did not do very well in terms of receiving touchdowns per game. So like if you give him some leeway on some of these branches, they still don't get him into that range anywhere near what you're going to see for Addison or Smith and Jigba. So draft position is going to be pretty important for his overall outlook. Um, and as a result, this is just one more thing of why I have Addison and Jigba in a bit of a tier ahead of him. I know a lot of people include them in. Maybe they get in and he's like the one C, uh, but it, it's interesting to see his result there. Yeah. Okay. So we'll, we'll have to put a pin in that and and watch him closely. I mean, I think as many as four wide receivers could go in the top 25, but you know, if I'm wrong on that another position gets pushed up a little bit and he falls outside, that's going to be pretty problematic. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. So let's, you already mentioned the next guy, Jordan Addison. So Addison, I mean, he's kind of like the opposite of Johnson. I mean, Johnson's, you know, a, a little bit higher up on the board because, you know, he's he's got a little bit more size in a class that doesn't have a lot of it. And, you know, he got to play on the biggest stages in the college football playoff. Addison's a transfer player. He's a little smaller than, than, I, than ideal if you're drawing up a receiver in the lab. But, it's, you know, his production profile is pretty much you know sterling over the past couple of years what does the regression tree think about him sure so he actually does get into that bucket um of 15 points per game given okay. where we would expect him to be drafted he finished at 20.9 if he were to fall outside of the top 30 he does have more than uh 22 career receiving market share also finished uh with that final season again below 21 as a result he ends up in that bucket with 11 points. Um, and if you wanted to make things a little bit uh, loftier in terms of your receiving market share, given what he did with terms of touchdowns per game um, with uh, 0.82, we, st we would st still see him in uh, like an 11 or 12 bucket. So very good outlook for him as well. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now 
and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Chronic migraine is 15 or more headache days a month, each lasting four hours or more. Botox Onabotulinum Toxin A prevents headaches in adults with chronic migraine. It's not for adults with migraine with 14 or fewer headache days a month. It prevents, on average, eight to nine headache days a month versus six to seven for placebo. Prescription Botox is injected by your doctor. Effects of Botox may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness can be signs of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Side effects may include allergic reactions, neck and injection site pain, fatigue, and headache. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Don't receive Botox if there's a skin infection. Tell your doctor your medical history, muscle or nerve conditions, including ALS Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis or Lambert-Eaton syndrome, and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. Ask your doctor and visit BotoxChronicMigraine.com or call 1-800-44-BOTOX to learn more. So, yeah, because of his, I mean, long story short, because of his the strength of his production profile, he's got better insulation from you know, sliding in the draft with draft position. But, I mean, Addison's not falling outside the top 30. I mean, he, he's doing a, a tour of visits basically in that, you know, eight to 18 range right now, I think this week. So, uh, I mean, he's definitely going to be a mid first rounder. Let's move on to kind of the next tier down. So those are the the three wide receivers that in most, you know, dynasty rookie ranking sets are at the top and in some kind of order. They're also the, the three that are in the, you know, some kind of order at the top of most NFL draft pundits, uh, mock drafts lately, but a player who's just outside that and could challenge. I think he actually could be maybe the wide receiver three off the board. Uh, if, if scouts end up souring on Johnston towards the end of the process here, Zay flowers from Boston college, how does he do in the tree? Yeah. So if he were to finish under, if he gets drafted under 30, we have him at 11 points uh, per game. If he falls past 30, we are then going to have the question of, did he earn a receiving market share in his career greater than 22%? He came in with 24. He was older than 21, though. So then we have to look at his receiving touchdowns per game. He finished below 0.68, but above 0.57, he ends up with 12 points per game. So that's a really interesting thing in that you actually have, which it probably shows that this isn't the perfect model, because uh, if you think about it, he ends up walking this one tree that gets him to 12 points per game versus 11 when yeah. he's drafted earlier. Uh, but really what the thing to focus on in here is this puts him in the more desirable buckets. You're going to have very few players hit that 15. So if you're getting in the 11 or 12, you're probably only going to have 25 to 30% of players approximating that each year. Yeah, I like it. Um, you know, kind of hearing you walk through that, it's, you know, with with Flowers and Johnson kind of converging in, in our rankings a bit uh, in volume two, you know, dra- draft capital could be the thing that solves it, but I'm almost wondering to myself if I ought to just throw it out at this point. Yeah. Um, you know, because it just seems like Flowers has an overall stronger profile with neither one really having the age advantage over one another. So, that's interesting. Now with flowers, there's kind of two other prospects that are, you know, slightly undersized, maybe not thought of as, you know, a, 
a, a typical perimeter uh, wide receiver one, but maybe have the skill set to do it uh, in the right offensive context. After all, you know, Antonio Brown figured it out without being six, three. So, you know, flowers is one of those guys. And there's two others that I think are kind of in a trio of players. I could really see one of, one of these guys really exploding at the next level. One of Sean's favorites early in the process was Marvin Mims. How does Marvin do in this thing? Yeah. So Marvin Mims, he's not going to go in the top 30. So I, I think his, his combine was strong. It solidified day two for him, but he's not going to, he's definitely going to go in the top one of six, but outside the top 30. So let's paint the picture from there. Sure. So where he's going to end up um, across the trees really is probably like at like a six or seven points per game. Right. So if he finishes beyond 30, his receiving market share on his career was just 16%. That props him down a branch where he ends up with, just 6.3 points per game, even if he had over. Uh, well, I think that there's such a large delta between the 22 and the 16 that yeah, I'd be, you can't, I, you can't yeah. really do it. You can't squint at that. He yeah. could end up in a decent tree or like walking down decent branches because of his age. But I think that'd be a bit of a stretch. So he, he really is, you know, probably somewhere, uh, well behind a guy like Zay Flowers, I would much rather have Flowers given not just this analysis, but some of the other things we've looked at this year. Yeah, and I know we were aligned on that. And, and Flowers has kind of been above Mims throughout the process. I just want to use this as a cross check of, you know, yeah. hey, how much could he really be encroaching uh, on on Flowers? But it's almost sounding like, you know, he's getting he's got some of the same problems in this regression tree that Quentin Johnston had. So the third player, the third player that I I kind of think of uh, in this trio is Josh Downs from North Carolina, slightly undersized, um, but pretty prolific. Sure. So Downs, uh, where do just to put some context on this, where do you see him going? I I mean, I think I've seen him somewhere. Yeah, I've seen him like somewhere between like 40 to. Uh, 50 kind of in that range, right? So yeah, that's going to say 50, 55. We're in the, we're in the same area there. Yep. So he has a receiving market share that uh, was 34%. So again, if you have a draft position between 30 and 106, the next question is that career receiving market share. Uh, he's above 22 from there. We question was his final season uh, played at less than or greater than 21. He was 21.3. If we follow that down, uh, we see him ending up around eight points per game. If you wanted to say that you thought that you could make the exception here and that he was closer to 21, he would fall into a bucket with 11. So he is a player we do have a little bit wide of a range there based on those buckets. If you are following this explicitly, um, you know, he'd probably be closer to around eight. Yeah, so the interesting piece here is if you want if you want to follow this tree to the letter of the law is that if Quentin Johnston were to slide outside the top 30, Josh Downs performs better in the in the tree. Yeah. Um, and Josh Downs does perform better in the tree regardless uh, than Marvin Mims would. So that's interesting for me. I think I've this, this kind of just helps confirm the order. I already kind of had these guys in, mm-hmm. but I mean, I think flowers downs Mims 
um, was the way to go and it's maybe the way to stay. Uh, but it is, in- man, it is interesting. I think this whole conversation just has me kind of coming back to what exactly is going to happen with Quentin Johnston. So we've talked about some of the bigger names. Let's test this thing on some guys that I think are, I mean, they're 100% going to fall outside that top 30, but you know, they're not, they don't have the, quite the same pedigree yep. as the other players that we've, we've talked about. Um, we've got Cedric Tillman and Tyler Scott left. Let's go with Cedric Tillman first. Tillman uh, and a little bit of an older prospect. And, you know, he, Tillman's the type of guy that typical Rotoviz process would, would miss on. And we'd be okay missing on him because, you know, he would be an outlier based off of our typical processes of being, you know, a, a little bit older and, and a late bloomer. But, you know, the film community really likes him. I mean, I keep seeing him mocked in the late first, early second. I mean, I think there's an outside shot. I mean, I, I just saw a mock draft, you know, yesterday where he was actually uh, mocked at 30 overall. And so, you know, it'd be interesting to see what would happen with Tillman on either side of that cut line, Dave. Wow. So he was actually mocked ahead of 30? Yeah. At, well, at 30. At 30. All right. So we're, we'll walk down and both of those trees. The tree is greater than or equal to 30. So that's, yes. you know, kind of interesting. So in the context that he does go somewhere, let's just say somewhere around 30, you know, give maybe a plus or minus of like five. Uh, you would see him getting into a bucket of 11 points per game, which would be one of the better results of this Mm. year's class. Uh, I think it's more likely that he doesn't, in which case you have him walking down a tree where he lands uh, around 7.6 points per game. So you could call it eight. Um, One of the reasons for this is he did post a pretty impressive rate in terms of touchdowns per game, scored 17 touchdowns on 24 games. It comes out to uh, 0.7 per game. So I guess for a guy like Tillman, um, you know, does that make you more or less excited about him to hear that he's finishing kind of like in the middle of, of the pack here? Well, I think, you know, we, we had some internal, I mean, it wasn't even really battles. It's just, he's just a guy that we kind of kept glossing over. Mm-hmm. I think throughout the first two volumes of the rookie guy, it's like, you know, we, we know, all right, we're, we're almost putting him kind of in that, you know, second to late second area because we know so many others, you know, that, that are, you know, really film heavy in their process uh, or, or maybe just, you know, see him as an, you know, an opportunistic play on, on the size, you know, that he's going to get drafted higher because he's one of the few guys that has a little bit of size in this class. Um, we, we know that it might be a miss for us if we're only looking at his production profile and his age. And so he, those are the guys that I try to circle in my process and ask people that have different processes to make sure that I'm just not totally missing on, you know, a guy that could be an outlier, but you know, if he goes and if he were to go at the end of the late, you know, the late first, he's going to end up with like a good quarterback and a good team context and get lots of touchdown scoring opportunities, which is kind of his calling card in college. So, you know, I, yeah, I think, you know, Tillman is not a player that I've been super high on, but I think this process, you know, seeing where, you know, even if he falls outside the top 30, 
you know, if, if he and Johnson were to fall outside the top 30, I mean, Tillman performs better in the tree, you know? So it's just one of those things where, you know, certain players, it's like the draft capital is the only thing propping them up. You know, I think those are like warning shots. And so this, this episode just continually reminding me that it's a slippery slope for somebody like QJ. Yeah. So Cause the last, thing that you, yeah, yeah. That, that's just, just to hit on that for a second. Uh, when you actually work on this and you explore some of the different ways that these trees could be put together, you just keep going back to how important draft position really is. But if you remove that from some of these, the equation with some of these players, it does become a little bit more apparent, which one of those players you should prefer in a vacuum. Yeah. 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 Um, Okay. So last player, this would be like the opposite of Toman. So let's go with Tyler Scott out of Cincinnati um, pretty stellar athlete, you know, kind of jumped, I guess, through or out of the building, uh, and in, in Indianapolis, I mean, he's, he's a bit undersized, but did, you know, run, you know, the four, four, four forty. Let's see how he performs. This is a guy that kind of shot up our boards, um, from volume one to volume two. Yeah. Now. Okay. He was born. I don't have an exact age for him. According to Wikipedia, though, he's 21 right now. Do you happen to have? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pull it up. Why don't, why don't you run him through over and under? Yep. Um, at 21. We know he's going to fail top 30. So run him over and under, and I'll just let me just confirm the age real quick. Yes, I appreciate that. So if we were to put him um, under 30, well, actually, we're going to go over 30 first here. Uh, if he goes over 30, your next question is going to be his career receiving market share, which for Tyler Scott was just 17%. That then drops him down to 6.3 being the bucket that he finishes in. Um, if we have him at 30 or be- at 30 or lower and he's greater then 21, he'd be at 11. And then as we've mentioned, you know, if he was younger than 21 in his final season, he would miraculously fall into that 15. Um, I'm not necessarily inclined, though, to make that jump and say that he's probably going to finish lower than 30. Any results no, on the age, Curtis? I'm, I'm, I'm zeroing in here. Okay. Got to find the right spreadsheet. Great radio. Oh, it's terrific radio. You need to pull. You need to pull something else out of his profile here, real quick. Okay, so can, if we talk about him a little bit, um, very little production in his 2020 year, which was his first year. Uh, in 2021, did contribute 30 receptions, five touchdowns, and 17.3 yards uh, per route run. Added nine touchdowns in his junior year in 2022. Had 55 receptions, 16.35 yards per reception. That was the year he broke out, put up a receiving dominator of 0.4. So one of these players that progressively became more plugged into his team's offense. Of course, we saw Cincinnati do some really interesting things this past season. He was a big part of that. So it it's hard to really form your like full opinion on him 
Uh, so I kind of like how we have the juxtaposition here of a player like Tyler Scott against that of Cedric Tillman. Looks like my, my friend Curtis here is still in his search. Yeah, let's pull out. Let's pull out one more. Okay. It's a Hail Mary attempt here. Okay. Hail Mary attempt at Kayshawn uh, Boutte. Okay, let's let's look at Kayshawn while I'm uh, pulling up Tyler Scott's. Oh, that's, uh, that's a good idea. You know, Kayshawn's young. Can, yep. can this model save him? So obviously he, at this point, I don't think um, we're going to say that he could go below. I don't think he's 30. going in the top 106 either. You don't think he's going in the top 106? I don't know, man. All right. I so don't think so. I've got good news for him. <laughs> he, he's he, like, he, he, he completely flunked to the combine and he said, nah, I'm good. I'm not like, he's not, he's not doing any of the events again. So yeah. I mean, I, yeah. So he could be, <laughs> this is where things get, get kind of hard to say. Um, I think with him, you end up in a tree that's between like eight to six. So he's kind of a tear down from some of those high level guys, but there still is some hope for him. If he were to go in the one inside one Oh six, it's interesting because he had a receiving career market share of 21%, which falls just under that 22 mark, um, which would put him at 6.3. But if you gave him, um, some leeway there of that 1%, he would then get into a group with 11. Um, if you start exploring some of these trees, though, with slightly different cutoffs, he's probably more in that six to eight range. Uh, but given that young age, he does get propped up in some of those trees that you might have if you built these just a little bit differently. Okay. I'm Dave. We have to update our database. Tyler Scott, I, we do not have his date of birth in there. And I just checked a couple of, um, you know, of, of friendly peer websites and he appears to be missing there as well. Oh boy. So I'm going to take it as a, I'm going to take it as a homework assignment and we're going to okay. carry this over to the next episode. We're going to come back and solve uh, for the mystery of Tyler Scott. Um, but this has been, this has been really great. I think it's good. Just any other ways that we can double check our work, as we start to do the dynasty startups, you know, I mentioned on Twitter the other day that the hundred dollar level dynasty startups are open on at FFPC, whether that's rid of his triflex or traditional uh, at FFPC formats. I mean, it's important to go through and get these players, right? I mean, drafting rookies and startups before the NFL draft is a, is a great way to, to have some instant dynasty roster equity. And I know there's a lot of dynasty leagues out there that actually do the rookie drafts before the NFL draft. So that's another way that you can kind of play into some of this stuff. I think my biggest takeaways here are that, you know, Jordan Addison should perhaps be a stronger wide receiver too overall in this class than, you know, maybe many um, have him slotted in to be. And that, you know, there's a big red circle around Quentin Johnson and his draft capital, because if he doesn't get that top 30, he falls behind a lot of the other players that we mentioned in this episode. So really, really cool uh, process to take us through, Dave. Appreciate the work that uh, that you did in, in building the model. Again, for all the listeners, we'll have the link in the show notes. Uh, wherever you're listening to the podcast, you can check out Dave's article from 2021 and see the accompanying visual as you listen to us cut up these prospects. Thank you for listening to the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. Send us questions at rvffshow at gmail.com. 
Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at CPatrickNFL. Leave us a voicemail at 978-615-9214 and make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.